Welcome to Interpod, the global voices of pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The rise in anti-trans efforts and sentiments around the world has us all questioning, where is all this coming from? Much of it can be pointed to what's happening in the United States politically. Politicians around the world have been using the transgender community in order to advance their political agenda. This episode features a keynote speech made by Representative Zoe Zephyr, who became one of the first trans women to be elected to the Montana legislature. Representative Zephyr spoke as the keynote speaker during San Francisco Pride's inaugural Human Rights Summit. Let's listen to Representative Zephyr talk about how we respond to these political attacks. I want to start with what has been the most common question I have gotten in the last two months, which is, are you okay? How are you holding up? <laughs> is it going to be, it's going to be all right. And uh, the answer to the question is, are you okay? Is yeah, more than ever, I feel light in the work that I'm doing. I feel a sense of hope that I did not feel two years ago, four years ago. Um, and a large part that has to do with what I have seen, what I have faced, what, what seems possible post standing up and in the response that the community has given after what happened. But one of the things that I think is important about talking about the response and you know, the moving forward as we talk about is two things. We want to talk about how we got to that moment. And we also want to make sure we're looking the moment in the eye. And I think when we talk about courage to stand up and courage to like blaze the trail forward, you cannot have that pride. You cannot have that hope if you are turning away from the cruelties that are coming in our direction. And for me, I look at the attacks over 530 attacks against the LGBTQ community this year, more than in the last half decade combined. And we see attacks that are coming after every aspect of our lives. We see attacks that come after our pasts, our presents, and our futures. When, we, when you bring a bill forward that targets books, that bans books, you ban a memoir like Gender Queer. You are banning an individual history of a queer person telling their lived experience. When you ban drag shows, you are banning an art form that is integrally connected with what it means to be queer in this country. When we look at our past, when we look at the ways gendered clothing was uh, regulated, three, you know, three articles of clothing laws, the way that was used to attack our community. We recognize that we are attacking our pasts when we do that. When bills come forward and attack our present, they attack our presence by excluding us from bathrooms, from barring us, from having updated government IDs. I look at a bill in my state, Senate Bill 458, that uh, misdefined sex as binary and then updated every section of Montana code with abandon. The author, the sponsor of the bill did not even know what his own, uh, his own bill did. I asked him about one of his sections and he sat in silence for a minute and just went, oh. Um, but 
you look at the way those banner presents, and then you look at bills that banner features. And that Senate Bill 458, there was a thing in there that one of the sections said, you know, if I died and was buried in the state of Montana, I could marry my beautiful fiance, Aaron, we live a happy life, raise our seven-year-olds together. And when I died, I could have a tombstone that said, Zoe's a fair loving wife, loving mother, etc." But my government in the state of Montana says in their records, they need to mark mail. That's what Senate Bill 458 does. That is an attempt to ban our futures. And then at the very beginning, when you ban health care for trans youth care that we know saves lives, that robs people in our community of their futures. We must look at these bills and see them for what they are. If we blink and say, oh, it's just another wave of attacks, or we're not quite comprehending the totality of it, it feels strange to stand because you not, don't quite know the totality of what you are standing against. And I also, looking back and moving forward, I'm sitting in the, the, the back room and those words running through my head. It's important to note that when we stand up now, we join a long line of people who have stood up for our community and we, learn, we join a long line of people who have existed. I remember uh, following my censure, uh, my community of Missoula, Montana put together in 24 hours, uh, we know how hard organizing is, in 24 hours, they put down a three-day uh, festival of trans and queer celebration in my city. It was stunning. I gave a speech and then from the bridge over, uh, over the Clark Fork River in my town, they held a sign that said, trans people will live forever. And I read that sign as that banner dropped. And I said, yeah, trans people will live forever, but we've lived forever. We have, queer people have existed long before states like Montana or California had the names that they have now. And we will exist long after these bills are in the dustbin of history. We know the thread we are a part of. And we know it's not just our existence that has been forever. We know it is our joy. It is our resilience. It is our love that has been forever. And I think about looking at something like the 1890s. You had Lucy Anderson, a young black woman who um, transitioned at six years old. And, you know, if you listen to right-wing media today, uh, they will say, oh, this is a social contagion. They're scared about, you know, what if you tell someone that they could be trans, maybe someone will come out and say they are trans. Or if you tell someone they are LGBTQ, maybe they will be. Um, you look at Lucy Anderson, she transitioned at six years old. Uh, her parents went to her doctor and said, Lucy says she's a girl. And the doctor went, yeah, great. She knows who she is. Uh, off we go. And Lucy lived a lovely life, became a cook in her town, a big socialite. Um, and as our community often knows, there was prejudice. When her uh, sex assigned at birth was discovered, she was jailed. And the response was her community, the rich bankers who had their parties to throw, came and demanded she be released because she was important to their community. She threw the best parties, and so they bailed her out. <laughs> and they said, yeah, neat, neat, neat. Whatever you hate, sure, that's great, but come on, come on, we need our, we need our cook. Um, and so she did. She lived and she retired um, off with her wife, I believe, out somewhere in California, big state, but somewhere out here. Um, and so I think about 
moments like those. I think about people who have stood up throughout history and you look at, you know, Stonewall, we all know the story of the Stonewall riots, but you look at the next day, you don't see people who are dejected. You see Stonewall in boarded up and you see people proud standing up because they know what they fought for. And another comment I get a lot is, oh, that was really super brave. That had to be so, so brave and took all this courage. I said, it's actually really easy when you know you're on the right side of history to stand for something. You, you, <laughs> you feel pressures. People say things, but it's very, it's very clear and, and easy to do. And I think, I think of it like a coming out. You know the world can get a little bit harder at times. You know there are going to be people who push back. Someone's going to say, oh, can you wait a little bit? I don't think grandma or grandpa are ready to hear that. Or, ooh, have you thought about your job? Have you thought about the way the world will perceive you? We know those stories, but we know that there is something important inside of us, something that is in true resonance with who we are. And that is a coming out. That's why we come out despite the attacks. And when you stand for something that is morally just, when you stand to protect a community and help them access care that will save their lives, there's nothing more in resonance with what is right. And so despite any cruelties, it should be the easiest decision in the world. I've also seen responses, not just political responses, not just getting to be in a lovely room like this and having conversations, um, but I have been all over. Um, and the response I have seen from my censure in Montana, I had someone in the interview asked, uh, how do you deal with hate on the streets? If someone comes up to you in person and says, oh, shame on you, shame on you, how do you deal with that? And I said, I'd let you know if it has happened once, but it hasn't. What I hear again and again is, thank you. Thank you. I, I understand what's at stake here. Yes, you stood up in defense of your community, but when the cruelty showed itself, laid itself fully bare, we saw that they were not just attacking one community. They were attacking all of our freedoms. They were attacking democracy. And I've asked myself, I, I tell people to consider again and again, when you ask about the bills that are being brought forward, yes, the policies are cruel and we push back against the policies, but you need to ask yourself, what are they willing to throw away to achieve their policies? And we watched, you know, a handful of anti-abortion uh, bills uh, come through the legislature and get struck down by our courts in Montana. And the response from the Republican supermajority in my state was not to go, that's right, we have constitutional protections. That's a shame. They went, you know, maybe that judiciary, maybe we should just like, nix that whole thing. Um, and so we saw bills that sought to make our nonpartisan uh, judicial races partisan to allow our governor to appoint Supreme Court justices instead of having them um, voted on. We also saw a bill attempting to overturn Marbury versus Madison. And if you if you hear the size, those are people who have a little bit of legal knowledge. Uh, basically, the first principle, first day one law school, like judge looks judges can look at cases and say things like. Um, so you watch 
the totality of the attacks. Okay, if, if they can't get their way, they'll go after our entire judicial branch. And if, as we saw in my state, as we saw in Tennessee, when young black lawmakers stood up and said the inaction on gun violence is killing our community, when marginalized communities held them accountable, the response was not just a policy discussion, not just, well, we'll, we'll pass this law anyway. It was to throw democracy itself away. And so we know what the bills are targeting. We know what they are willing to do to achieve those goals. But again, the response I see from my community, I checked into a hotel a couple weeks ago, late, 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 it's about midnight. And I'm sitting there and I'm sort of sleepily standing and trying to, you know, prep for the next day. And all of a sudden the security guard sidles his way over to me and I look, make eye contact and he leans over and he just goes, the National Guard has your back. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> um, I, I, was up in Ca I was up in Glacier National Park this week with my fiance. We took our one day off this month um, to go celebrate. And we were about as far away from politics as you can be. We were in nature, deep, deep in nature. And we hiked to the top of um, one of the um, the top of Logan Pass. We hiked to Avalanche Lake. We saw a bear. We saw um, deer. We saw a herd of mountain goats. It was lovely, far from the day-to-day -day pol political world as you can be. And we pulled over on this scenic vista. And all of a sudden, a big pickup truck pulls in right behind us. And out hops this big, burly, bearded, 40-year-old uh, man. He comes strolling up and he points and he goes, Zoe Zephyr? And I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> that is me, yes. And he's like, he's like, I am a Republican through and through and through. And he name dropped about three of the Republicans in our Montana party, Republicans who voted to censure me. And he's like, that's the kind of Republican I am. But I'd sit on that bench for you. You are my hero. And I pictured the National Guard person person here saying this, I go to every stop I go to, someone comes up and says, I saw what happened. I recognize that it was not right. And that in itself would be enough to give someone hope and feel like, okay, maybe, maybe sort of the, the machinery of politics has opened up a bit. Maybe we can do some work here. But I see more than that. I see in Florida, I was talking to a handful of people and someone came up to me and said, hey, I'm a teacher down here. And the laws, as you know, are brutal around LGBTQ um, information in schools. And he goes, I, I see what happens. I saw what happened up in, in your state. And I said, um, you know what? I'm just not going to, I'm not going to listen to this law. You know, I'm going to have my picture of my husband up on, um, up on my desk. And if I get in trouble, I get in trouble, but it's, the, it would be the wrong thing to do to hide. I was at my hometown pride um, last week and trans probably 20 year old came up to me wearing a beautiful trans flag. And he said, um, I've been scared. I've been scared and wanting to leave this state. And I see, you know, and I see our leaders standing up and really holding them accountable, being unafraid, having the courage 
And suddenly I feel like I can have the courage to turn to a family member and say, this is who I am. To go to school and say, hey, you're going to treat me with respect. And I keep thinking of the refrain in my head again and again and again that courage is contagious. That if you see someone standing and doing the right thing, it becomes easier for us collectively to stand up and do the right thing. And when I think about moving forward, that is the deepest hope in my heart. Um, and that sort of question of moving forward and what does that look like and how do we stand together? One of the questions I get two sort of questions, how did you get started and how do I get started? Um, and I got started in fun, exciting ways that I'm happy to talk about if people have questions. Um, and, but when I think about how other people get started, the first thing I say is I always talk about what I call the concentric circles of care, circles within circles within circles. And at the core circle, before you can even ask yourself, how do I, you know, what org should I work for? What office should I run for? At the very core is you have to have a surety in who you are and a love for yourself because you will face hardships um, in whatever room you find yourself in. And you, ha I, you have to be able to walk through it and have just the unshakable. Um, I remember coming around, uh, I sat on the bench outside um, the hallway and then a few days later, it turns out another group of individuals was sitting on the bench um, and it, who was sitting out there, it actually was the Speaker of the House, the person who was leading the century. It was his mother um, who he had uh, called to sit on the bench outside. And I walked up around the corner. I saw them and I went, okay, here's what we're doing. And we, I walked by to the uh, standing desk, standing bench where like the coffees are given to people. And I stood there, I popped up my computer and I danced for eight hours at that spot. And I was like, you will not break me. You will not see me flinch because part of this, part of showing that we have the courage to stand against this is not to suffer through it. So that first circle of care, of caring for yourself and being sure in who you are, that is integral because at the end of the day, whether you are taking votes on a house floor, I remember telling a colleague um, who said, God, I hate, it was a Republican. He said, God, I hate these bills, these anti-LGBTQ anti, anti -LGBTQ bills. I just hate them. I don't want to vote for them. I don't want to see them, but I'm going to have a short career in the Republican party if I don't support these things. And what I kept saying to him was, um, two things. One, I said, you have to go home and look yourself in the mirror every night. And at one point, you need to look in that mirror and ask yourself, have you become the monster you're pretending to be? And throughout the legislative session, I would just look at him and he would take a horrible vote and we'd walk out into the hallway and I'd go, how's the mirror? How's the mirror? And someone came up to me and said, well, you know what it's like. You take votes that, you know, really go against your conscience. And I said, not one yet. I stand by every vote that I've taken. Um, some some of them nuanced and feel like I fell 55 on the yes, 45 on the no, but I follow my heart. Um, after you've done that first circle, the second is community. And that is not just our lovely uh, LGBTQ community. Um, it's your local community. It's wherever you are. It is, um, for me, I was working at the biggest employer in our city, the university connected in there. I was teaching dance in town. 
um, connected to the dance community, doing a grad degree connected to the arts community there. Uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, I was also taking the bus everywhere. We have 100% free public transit in Missoula, Montana, which is, yeah, that's right. Um, every time someone's like, I tell them on the West Coast or East Coast, they're like, you should stay there. And I'm like, I would if they only had 100% free public transit. <laughs> Unlike my cool progressive city um, of 80,000. Um, but you connect with your community. And I was on that bus every day. I was at the farmer's market every weekend. And what that meant for me is that I felt held by my city. I felt held by my city when I transitioned and when I ran for office, I felt like I was running for a community that I understood and was deeply rooted in. Once you've done those two things, the question is, and it's the most important question, what room can your voice do the most good in? That is not inherently politics. Um, you know, if there, I think of, sort of, you know, if you're digging your way out of prison, if there are cruelties in the political structures that we are trying to fix, and we're trying to dig our way out of, you're digging your way out of prison, uh, you dig twice as fast if someone's digging from the inside and the outside. Um, and so it's important to figure out, not politics isn't inherently the spot to be, where is the spot your voice can be? And sometimes that is an org, sometimes that is politics, sometimes that is mutual aid. I know when I got my start, I was doing uh, human rights activism. I was helping people file discrimination claims. I was tracking Nazi movement um, during protests and trying to make sure armed counter-protesters could not get near black organizers during the George Floyd protests. That is inherently political, um, but it is not politics. And it was a room where I felt like, okay, I've got this expertise, I've got this um, knowledge, maybe I can do good here. Um, and what you find, and what I found when I ran for office, is if you are rooted in community, and if you have identified a room that your voice is a good match for, that it's important for your voice to be in there, you got to be ready to kick the door in, but you will find that the community that you are rooted in will often help open the door for you. And that was my biggest surprise running for office. I was like, all right, here we go. Little trans lady in Montana. We're going to kick every door in. And I, I kicked one in and they were like, oh, hey, welcome. Um, I've heard so many great things about you. Uh, tell me more and we'll get more of our friends to endorse you. And then I was knocking doors and they were like, oh, I actually know you. My daughter danced with you. Oh, so-and-so works in this department on, on campus. And it turns out that I, the doors I thought I would have to kick in were waiting. People were waiting. They were holding them open. Because when you are a part of your community, they will do that for you. And that, to me is one of the golden nuggets of why the attacks, the 530 attacks we're seeing, will fail. We are seeing them fail in the courts already. Uh, we saw Brandt uh, in Arkansas get the first federal ruling saying that a gender-affirming care ban was unconstitutional. Um, a ruling that the judge just listed over 300 facts. Just like, no, no, all of you, all of you anti-trans people, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. 300 times. Um, but also, so we'll see that the victories come in the courts, but also we're seeing the victories in our communities. The people I spoke to, the people who I was part of um, the community in, in Missoula, 
they knew they they weren't interested in anti-trans legislation because they knew trans people. They knew that trans people didn't just exist in their communities. They knew they were integrally a part of what it meant to be in that community. And we see that across the history. We see that's how um, much of the um, fights along LGBTQ rights have been won with people being defined. We think of ACT UP in the 80s, but you think of also people increasingly, increasingly getting to know LGBTQ people. That's why I tell people, you know, that room that you stand up in might just be your own home. That might be the space that your voice is needed because that is a needle moved every conversation you have. Um, and we are part of the community and you all know this, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's true whether you are in San Francisco, it's true whether you are in a small town in Montana, it is true whether you, in the, you are in the governor's office in Montana whose own child is non-binary. Again and again, I say you are never far from an LGBTQ person or someone who loves us. And so as I think about moving forward and I think about to me, what is the way past this wave of hate? It is we are calling it out. We are looking it in the eye and saying it. This isn't a vague attack. This isn't something without a name. We see it for what it is. And it was named Michael Knowles at CPAC, an attempt at eradication of a community. We look that in the eye. We have the courage to stand up against it, knowing that we are on the right side of history. We root ourselves in our communities. We root ourselves in love. And we find that whatever room we look to get into, we're ready to kick the doors down. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. It was part of a series of us looking back at some of the programs that were aired during San Francisco Pride's inaugural Human Rights Summit a response to the rise of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQIA plus bills that are being proposed and passed in the United States. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Interpod, please visit interpride.org. There you can also find more information about our World Conference coming up in October. This is Interpod, the global voices of Pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA plus community. 